there's different ways of looking at things in life. And in those two kingdoms, one had a lot of envy and selfish ambition built into it, while the other one was based on peace and love. Every generation has to endure conflict, even the generation in which we live right now. And the reason is because each generation has people. And people often try to look for things for their own benefit rather than others. And we can't escape it. I mean, no matter how hard, how hard we try, conflict always arises. This morning we're going to examine James, the third chapter, beginning at verse 13. And in this passage of Scripture, James is going to lay out for us a conflict that, that grows from within that creates problems with other people. And then yet he says there are two different kingdoms as well that we need to look at within this area. Two kingdoms of wisdom. One is the wisdom of this earth and the other is the wisdom of heaven. Let's look at our text this morning. Beginning in verse 13 it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So as we look at our text this morning, it breaks it down into three parts. There's wisdom in its action and how it shows and demonstrates itself. And then there's these two divided kingdoms of wisdom. Wisdom that is of earth and wisdom that is of heaven. Let's begin by looking at wisdom in action this morning. Remember when we looked at the second chapter of the book of James here, we discussed that James says that we've got to put our faith into action. You cannot merely simply believe in Jesus. Your belief and your faith has to be demonstrated in how you live. You can't hide it. And some people acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, but it has no effect on how they live. They live just the same way that they did all the rest of their lives for their own benefits. But if we're going to have true faith, our true faith has to motivate us to change the way and the manner in which we live. In reality, people who have that kind of faith, they're no different, he says, than demons. Yet there is a difference between the faith that we should have and the faith of a demon and the faith that these people perceive to have. Demons, however... Even though they believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of the living God, they tremble in fear. And people in our world who acknowledge that Jesus, but they don't live the manner in which He decides, the problem is they don't tremble in fear. James chapter 2, verse 26, we're told that the body apart from the Spirit is dead. So faith, apart from works, is dead. You see, faith is more than just belief. It is acting upon that belief. And wisdom is the same way. 
Matter of fact, our passage of Scripture today, we discover that wisdom is displayed in the action of our conduct as well. It's other than just our intellect. It has to motivate us to do things. You see, wisdom for James is not merely intellectual understanding, but it's also behavioral motivation. James refers to it by saying that Christians should show their works in the meekness of wisdom. That word meekness, Greek word prautes, has, has an interesting connotation behind it. The Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words tells us that in classical Greek writing, this word meekness consisted not in a person's outward behavior only, but rather it was an inwrought grace of the soul. And the exercise of it are first and foremost towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing and resisting. So meekness is really closely linked to another word we use to describe us, humility. It's somebody who has a humble spirit. They still have the power to do things, but they choose to refrain from doing something. Meekness, however, is being, first of all, meekness before God. We surrender ourselves and submit to Him. But it is also such in the face of our fellow man. Meekness has to deal with relationships as well. So out of a sense that even when someone who is cruel, someone who is evil, and they do things to insult and injure us, meekness says turn the other cheek. I mean, Jesus reminds us that, that, that if somebody strikes you, that we should turn to them the other cheek as well. That's what meekness is all about. Not fighting back, not trying to destroy your adversary, but being humble about it. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 23, it's associated, meekness is associated with self-control in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. <clears throat> Matthew Henry is a minister of the 17th and 18th century. In his commentary about this passage of Scripture, he writes this statement. He says, A truly wise man is a very knowing man. He will not set up for the reputation of being wise without laying in a good stock of knowledge. And he will not value himself merely upon knowing things, if he has not wisdom to make a right application and use of that knowledge. There, these two things must be put together to make up an account of true wisdom. So therefore, wisdom really is it's, it's the knowledge of things, it's the discernment, the understanding, the head knowledge, but it also moves us into the right application of how we should live. True wisdom is displayed in its behavior and its character. It doesn't hide itself in that. When James asked the question, who is wise and understanding among you? He believes that we can immediately point out people who are wise and understanding. By our observations, we see people, we say, I know that guy, and that guy is pretty wise. And so I'm going to ask his advice and his opinion on what I should do. There's that word do, the action in it. And so we find people that we believe by our own observation, by our own perception, by the way of their character and their own behavior, we discover them to be people that we would say are wise. <clears throat> people who are wise, not many of us, when James asks that question, who is wise and understanding among you, not many of us would raise our hands. You see, because wisdom also incorporates the humility. But if we're going to boast about our wisdom, then it's not true wisdom. It's not the wisdom that God gives us. 
He believes that we can manage to identify those we believe are filled with wisdom by the things that we see in them. But true wisdom is based upon more than our observations of their character or the behavior of men. It's also based upon their works. So that's what he tells us here. It's based upon works as well. So aside from the traditional use of the word work, which we understand is to be that of of labor or a task or a deed, the word work in the New Testament may also refer to anything that is done that's going to bring people to God. It's going to lift him up. It's going to refer to those things that are going to testify about God. So that's wise in its works. Four times in this book, earlier, James uses the word work or works. And he uses that word to describe the Christian as being a doer of good works or good deeds. And so here we find that wisdom is the motivation behind those good works and those deeds. So the wisdom that we gain should cause us to do these things that are, that are good. There's always a motive behind every action. We have to admit that. I eat because I'm hungry. I sleep because I'm tired. I, 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 I give people financial gifts because I'm compassionate to them. I, I, I serve people because I'm loving. And there's also not only the action of wisdom, but there's also this temperament. There's a spirit of temperament that we have. And you probably heard someone say, isn't she a kind soul? Or, man, he's an evil-spirited and mean person, isn't he? We use that definition to talk about the spirit or the temperament of a person. Jesus reminds us in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says that the greatest thing that we can do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. It's a song I sang earlier, One Tin Soldier. There are always two ways of seeing things. In the song, it was the difference of these two kingdoms. One wanted the other's treasures, and the other was willing to share everything they had. So too, when it comes to wisdom, there are two contrasting views to consider. The first one is earthly wisdom, and the second is heavenly wisdom. So let's kind of look at how earthly wisdom uh, demonstrates itself. It, It originates with man. It originates only in a worldly human perspective. It is not godly in the things that it does. Such wisdom we might classify as common sense. It's the things that we've learned in our dealings with the world. It's just common sense. And we think, well, he should have common sense because everybody knows that. It's something that everybody should understand in how we live. And such common sense, it doesn't come down from heaven. It's not one of the good and the perfect gifts of our Father that James talks about in the first chapter. Instead, it's, it progresses or rather maybe digresses, as he says, from earthly to unspiritual And finally, he says, it's demonic. That's what this earthly wisdom is. And we don't understand how people can be the way they are. And so they'll just simply say, well, John, that's the way it is. That's just the way of the world. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's just the way things happen. People believe that way. The wisdom is merely human. And in that kind of wisdom, we have to discover that it's not from God. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, verse 12, he says, If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
You see, Jesus even recognizes there's, a, there's this simple process that we have in our own understanding. All we know is those things about this world. And so Jesus would often talk in parables, conveying a, a, an earthly <coughs> concept, but yet it gives us a heavenly understanding. And so he would speak that way. Paul says to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, he says, the people who have this kind of wisdom of this earth, he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. The book of Judges is filled with example after example of men and women who, who rejected the wisdom of God, and they chose to do it their way. They did what was right in their own eyes. And the scripture tells us over and over and over again, almost every chapter in the book of Judges, as a generation arises, it says that that all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did what was right in their own eyes, and we see that in our generation today. People say that I believe this, and this is my rights, and so I'm going to live those ways. It doesn't matter what you say. I choose to follow my own beliefs. So we've got a world of conflict about us today because people are living by their own standards rather than a standard that is established by God. And so worldly wisdom always, listen to this, worldly wisdom always leads to disorder and chaos and as he says, every vile practice. When everyone is pushing their own agenda, societal contentment erodes. And when the minority or those with the weaker opinion is squelched and unheard, the more powerful run the rampant of those who are dictating things. And ultimately what happens then is unrest and a civil war. When we try to do things by our own views and by our own opinions, that's where it happens. The words envy and selfish ambition that he speaks about here in the third chapter, they're different than the words that he uses earlier on in chapter 1 when he talks about the the unstable, double-minded man who's unstable in all he does. He he wants us to understand that this kind of wisdom is built upon the envy and the selfish ambition that a person has within their heart, and it always causes instability and restlessness in any human relationship that you're going to have. And and what it does is it it splits up that relationship, and, and envy and selfish ambition can even split and destroy a church and even a nation. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. When our desires conflict with God's and what His will is for us, we find ourselves treading on very thin ice. James tells us in our text that this wisdom is also unspiritual. The Greek text, he uses a word, psychikos. It's where we get our word psyche. And, and, and that, it literally means it's of the soul. 
And so when he's saying that our wisdom is of our own psyche, it's of our own soul, it is, it is not his spiritual wisdom that he gives us. This wisdom is not of, of, of what God would do, but it's of our nature, it's of our flesh. And Paul refers to it as the flesh. He says, you're living according to the flesh rather than the Spirit of God. And so the sins that we commit in life by our own wisdom is dictated to us by what our earthly desires are, what our fleshly desires are, rather than the Spirit of God. And we ought not live that way. So ambitious, envious wisdom is not from the Holy Spirit. To all those who live by that wisdom, the words and the ways of the Spirit of God, they seem foolish. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this. He says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jude writes, in verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God, this earthly wisdom, it does not have the Spirit of God directing it. It is all based upon my own feelings, my own pleasures, my own fleshly desires, and that's what motivates me to make the choices that I make. And it goes against God. So this unspiritual earthly wisdom is always focused on self and self-gratification. It makes it even opposed to the truth if the truth doesn't fit its agenda. Hey, don't believe me? Turn on your TVs. And listen to the debates and the arguments about where is truth? What is true? What is lie? And so we've got everybody trying to censor everybody else because they don't want the truth to be out there because we try to hide the truth because my opinion and my thoughts about this are greater than that. That's worldly wisdom. So bitter envy and selfish ambition find their home in the heart, the seat of emotion, the purpose and the character of these types of people. And so in Genesis chapter 6, when God was looking at the world... And he discovered that we were operating by our own wisdom rather than his. This is what takes place. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. See, there's a difference in this earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Such inner attitudes, they cannot be hidden for long. And soon they will show themselves in their boasting and their bragging and denying the truth, which literally means it lies against the truth. Finally, we discover that that's earthly wisdom, James tells us, is demonic. And we don't get that. We don't know much about demons. We don't see demons around us today, do we? We don't un interact with them at all. I mean, that's, that's something from myth. That's something from fairy tale. That's something from the Bible. That's just stories. But James says, no, it's not. The wisdom of this world is demonic, is where it ultimately ends up. It's not just a lower form of wisdom, but is in direct opposition to God. As the tongue is set on fire by hell... James now is telling us that the wisdom of this earth is established through Satan. That's where it comes from. 
Demons, they do have a type of faith. We, we see that in James chapter, chapter 2, and they also have a type of wisdom. And Paul warned Timothy that some of the people would give themselves over to that type of wisdom that was demonic. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later t- times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. However, as Christians, we should avoid that. We should avoid that type of wisdom at all costs, since they have nothing to do with the works of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 and 21 says, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. There is a problem that we have in the churches today in this world. And I think really a lot in the church here in America. We are toying with the wisdom of this world because we want to relate to them and because we're driven by our own flesh and by our own earthly desires to be that way. But we've got to suppress it and accept the wisdom that comes from God instead. Because the wisdom that we're living by, it's unspiritual and it's demonic. So, how are we supposed to do? Well, let's flip the coin on wisdom and take a look at the other side. Instead of earthly wisdom, let's examine the heavenly wisdom that God wants us to have. James contrasts this with the wisdom from above by giving a list of virtues. So, I mean, this, these virtues, they're common among Greek writings and things. And so we, we find these elsewhere in the New Testament. If you go into the book of Matthew chapter 5, you find a listing of beatitudes. Attitudes that we should have. And you go into the book of Galatians chapter 5 and you look at the, the attitudes or the actions that are developed by the Spirit as He lives in you. And so we call these the fruits of the Spirit. But in both those things, James now takes the function of the Holy Spirit and applies it into how we interact in the wisdom of this life. And so this gift that God has given us, it produces the fruit and the harvest of righteousness, which we see there in verse 18. So what's included in the list of these virtues of wisdom? Well, the first thing is purity. Purity. This wisdom is pure, and it calls us to live a pure lifestyle. Purity simply implies that the moral and the spiritual virtues, as well as a singleness of will, and it's God's will. The double-minded person, they cannot receive wisdom from God because they lack the purity of the will. They're not going to be obedient to him. Later, James is going to challenge his people and exhort the double-minded man to purify their hearts in the fourth chapter. And so, since the character of God is pure, since he is not only pure but holy and righteous, he is unblemished, he's unmarked, he's unscarred, he, he is, he's exactly what he needs to be. And since that is his character, he drives us to be the same way. And he wants to purify us. So Matthew verse 5, chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Another virtue is this, that this type of wisdom and these type of people who have the heavenly wisdom, they are peaceable. True wisdom works for peace. Matthew 5, verse 9 again says, Blessed are the, are the peacemakers. <clears throat> For they shall be called sons of God. And then the author of Hebrews, 
He challenges us in this way in chapter 12, verse, verse 14, to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which one one will see the Lord. So the biblical idea of peace goes beyond just uh, the absence of war and conflict. It wants us to, to interact into our hearts with one another so that we have peace with each other rather than just that we keep our countries out of war. And it moves into this idea, and the word that is used in Hebrew language, shalom. You'll hear it a lot. You've probably heard it throughout your life, shalom. It means peace, but it means more than just that. It's a greeting, but it's also a way that people inquire about somebody's state of being. You want to know how you're doing? They say, shalom. And and you then can identify whether or not you have peace within your soul, whether you're restful at this, or whether you're having a conflict and turmoil, and you're stressed out, and you have no, no sense of balance there. But peace is the opposite of envy and selfish ambition. It's in a good relationship with other people. So James challenges us to have the wisdom of heaven that is pure, that is peaceable. But he wants us to have wisdom also that is gentle and open to reason. So wisdom, we might say, is is considerate and it's also submissive. It's gentle and it's considerate. And this open to reason is the idea that it's submissive to others. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so as He comes, we need to find ourselves at peace and also in a good relationship with other people. So these two words, gentle and open to reason or considerate and and submissive, they both point to an attitude that think of others first instead of themselves. Philippians chapter 2 identifies that was the attitude that Jesus Christ had Himself. That he considered other needs before his own first. So true wisdom does not insist on its own way, but is open to persuasion from others. So the wise person is is compliant and reasonable when it can be. Not to be a know-it-all, and it's always got to be their way. He listens carefully to others, and instead of attacking them, and very much unlike our political world today, everyone is, bip- is partisan in their views, and it's their view is always right and always perfect, and everybody else's view is wrong. And we see that. We set ourselves up in conflict, but the, but the Christian ought to have a different type of wisdom when they're dealing with, even in the political world, how we look and how we talk. Because all we see today is people throwing hatred at one another. And and they're looking down upon each other. And that is not the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of God says, I need to listen to what your concerns are. And then I'm going to balance that in weight of what the Scripture has to say. And my response to you is not going to be condemning, but loving and hoping that you might as well come to a better understanding of things. True wisdom does not insist on on its own agenda. But it's also this, it's full of mercy and good fruits. Wisdom is shown by its actions that the the good fruits, the things that we do, they stem from mercy. Because we have the mercy of God, we then are going to be merciful to others as well. And as a true religion cares for widows and orphans, James told us over in chapter 1, true faith closes the naked and feeds the hungry, as he told us in chapter 2. So true wisdom in chapter 3 produces acts of mercy and compassion for those around us who are in need. Wisdom 
demands that we take action upon those around us. It's also impartial. That means that that the wisdom of heaven is void of any kind of favoritism or any kind of racism or any kind of bigotry or any kind of thing that's going to be partial to me. It is impartial. They do not prefer certain persons or, or others based on their appearance or their position. However, the Greek word adiakritos for impartial can also be translated unwavering. So in other words, what it's saying is, I do not change how I treat you or how I treat them or how I treat somebody else. I treat everybody the same way. It's unwavering. There is no difference in it. And it's going to be compassionate and merciful to other people. It's full of mercy and good fruits. So wisdom does not have to have this restless inconsistency with the evil tongues that we see about us all day long but it is wholehearted in its devotion to God. And finally, this heavenly wisdom is sincere. It's genuine. Matter of fact, the word that is used there is anupakrates. It is where we get our word hypocrite. It is not a hypocrite. It's not two-faced. It's not being somebody with you and somebody different over here when I'm by myself. It is sincere. True wisdom does not have to show off. It doesn't have to be pretentious and display. and It doesn't have to be ambitious about things. It is the same person no matter where you are. And Jesus consistently denounces people who are hypocritical in lifestyle. Those who claim to be wise, but they do not obey God in their prayers, in their giving, in their fasting. And so he calls them hypocrites. You see, Jesus wants us to be the same person with God as where we are with other people. And so we don't put on a display of show. We're humble about it. And so in our prayers, we don't stand on the street corners like those people do and get everybody to watch them and see how holy they are because they're praying. We don't don't stand there and, and, and jingle our change as we want to throw it in and make sure everybody knows that we're giving financially to somebody or to something or to the church. We don't just groan and complain about, oh man, I'm so hungry because I've been fasting this week and it's just miserable. But that's what they were doing. The wisdom from heaven demands that the way in which we live is not hypocritical. So that we aren't doing things so that people notice us. Because it's not about us. It's about driving them to God. So even Jesus says, instead of being hypocritical about your giving and your fasting and your prayers... He says, you need to go into the closet, shut the door, and pray to your Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret. You need to not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing in the manner in which you're giving. And when you're fasting, you keep that to yourself. And don't let people know that you're doing that. Because the focus isn't upon God's attention. Then the focus is upon letting everybody else know what you're doing. So we come down as we wrap up our text. James ends his list of these virtues of godly wisdom with what sounds to be like a proverb. He says there at verse 18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wisdom of heaven, its ultimate goal is to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. If you read in the the Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. But we discover as we read the New Testament that Jesus is the wisdom that it speaks about back there. And so when Jesus comes into this life, when he comes into my life, then his peace and his wisdom overwhelm me. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous 
is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If you want to be wise in God's eyes, you introduce people to Jesus. That's wisdom. Isaiah puts it this way in the 32nd chapter, verse 17. He says, the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So Paul tells us, as he writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and balanced for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the, to the, glory and the praise of God. So we have here in these last few verses of James chapter 3 this identification of two different types of wisdom, the wisdom of this earth and this world and the wisdom of God and of heaven. And the wisdom of heaven has great relevance for us as Christians. What passes for wisdom or common sense in our world is shaped by our entertainment world. It's shaped by the media. It's shaped by self-help books and seminars for success. That type of wisdom tells us that positive thinking and self-promotion and tapping into the inner self is going to help you feel happy, help you feel secure, help you become successful in all things. And you know, we recognize that that type of thinking and that type of wisdom is out in our world. But the problem is, we're the ones bringing it into the church. We've got to avoid that. James talks of another type of wisdom, this heavenly common sense that is direct opposition of the thinking of the people of our age. The wisdom that he gives us seeks peace. It seeks restoration. It seeks reconciliation. It does not seek victory over others or success. It desires purity, not happiness. It shows itself in willingness to yield myself to others rather than being so self-promoting that I am sufficient for myself. But I think it's going to take a lot of courage on our part to reject worldly wisdom because it's our very nature. And we do it because it comes naturally. But we're not supposed to live by this flesh. We're supposed to live by the Spirit of God. And still we must stand against this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom and live faithful to God. But how in the world can we achieve true wisdom if it's so foreign to us? James reminds us that wisdom is not the result of our human efforts, but it is a gift from God. Listen to what he says again in in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We need to be faithful to God, and we need to take the wisdom that He offers and apply it in our lives, how we live on a daily basis and how we interact with others. That's what makes a difference. If the praise team wants to come up. I don't know where you are, but I know where I am. And I know that I struggle with trying to think like this world 
and think like Christ. But when it's on my own accord, I'm going to fail. And I lack wisdom at times. And I know you do as well. But James tells us when we need that, when we don't know how to live and we don't know what to do and we don't know how to respond, we simply need to ask God to give us that wisdom. And He's not going to look at our faults and our problems and say, no, man, you blew it. I'm not helping you out. He is going to give it to us generously without finding fault in us so that we will be able to live pure, holy, and righteous, not by our own doing, but by what Christ can do in us. We're going to have a song, an invitation for you. Maybe you need help with trying to live faithful to God in your decisions that you make. Come let us know. We'll pray with you. We'll walk with you. We'll go through scriptures. We'll help disciple you so that you can be stronger in faith and weaker in this world. And let the kingdom of heaven be victorious. Maybe you just need to learn to surrender yourself to Jesus. To accept Him as your Lord, ruler, king, authority. Maybe you need to die to yourself. Be buried in baptism and rise again into a new life. A life in Christ. Which is totally different than the life that you've lived. Let's stand together.